This podcast is for the strange and unusual. Welcome to Crackpot Cocktail Hour. What did they make there, Joe? Huh? You know what that is? Yeah, it's a it's a solid propellant for for uh, rockets. Oh. No. Oh, oh! Ooh, that's gonna be loud. Audio provided by engineers only 3.4 kilometers from ground zero. Welcome to Crackpot Cocktail Hour. We're the Crackpots. I'm Lacey. I'm Alex. And today, what are we talking about? Today, we're actually talking about a story that's very close to my heart because it actually happened in my hometown when I was actually just an infant. We are going to be talking today about the Pepcon explosion. And I know next to nothing about this by choice because you told me and I was like, surprise me. I know. Are you hooked? Yeah, I am. Um, so I will tell you my contribution to this episode, which is the Pepcon flavor explosion cocktail. I love so much that they're a pop rock. <laughs> so I went through a few different like thoughts because I wanted it to be exploding in some way. My first thought and what I tried first was Mentos into soda, but that only really works as an explosion if it's like under pressure. Mm. Um, and so if you just drop like a Mento into a soda, it's like shh for a second and that's it. And you're like, oh, there was no drama at all. <laughs> uh, so I didn't go with that. And then I was like, oh, well, there's like fire and explosions and okay, well, maybe I'll do something with fire. And then I was like, we're pretty early on into this podcast. It would be really cool if I just burned the apartment down. <laughs> I was disappointed there were no flaming shots when I came in. I, believe you me, I definitely researched it, and it's like, there's a unique, elegant way to get your drinks to burn while not burning your house down, and I'm like, that sounds like more responsibility than I can handle. <laughs> so you've never made a flaming mo? No, I haven't. Um, I thought, you know, maybe that would be a fun thing for like our 100th episode. I'll learn to like not burn things down. And Lee gave me a look like, and you'll do it outside of the house. <laughs> you won't do it on the property. <laughs> but what I finally settled on, uh, the base drink is like a rum and coke, but because of the pep and Pepcon, I decided to make it Pepsi and coke. Um, wow. Or not Pepsi and coke, Pepsi and rum. Uh, <laughs> rum and Pepsi. Uh, so the ba- it's um, four shots of Pepsi, one and a half shots of dark spiced rum. I chose Admiral Nelson because he is uh, Captain Morgan's classier brother. <laughs> Well, you know he has a higher rank. Yeah, exactly. He's gone further. He's done more with his career. I do know a lot about military rank, so I'm glad you gave me that kind of credit. 
<laughs> he was also less expensive. <laughs> uh, so one and a half shots of the Admiral Nelson, the spiced rum, whatever you can find. One shot of strawberry liqueur and half a shot of fresh squeezed lime juice. I rubbed a uh, like wheel of lime around the rim of the glasses and dipped them in pop rocks before I poured the drinks in. So I should tell you that when she was making this drink, it actually sounded like she was maybe making bacon in the kitchen <laughs> without, you know, the delicious bacon smell. And I was like, is our, is our drink popping? <laughs> is, her, is, is our drink exploding? <laughs> and it most certainly is. <laughs> and you know I love a good, uh, I guess, cola and Coke. Or cola and rum. Oh See, I did the same thing. <laughs> I, I do like a good rum and cola, I guess yeah. I should say. So I already know I'm going to love this. I, I felt like it was also kind of a summery twist. So uh, enjoy. Cheers. Cheers. Oh no, come back here, Mr. Pop Rock. <laughs> I want you to remind me of childhood and just bad decisions, which I also call childhood. <laughs> Well, you know, also uh, a summer drink is appropriate because in theory, it's summer here in Seattle. In theory. It felt like summer, it felt like summer a couple weeks ago when I started working on the drink. Also, it should be noted the Pepsi was a lot less flat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Pepcon. All right, I'm actually going to be a bit serious about this because I actually did a lot of research and I think this story actually rounds out nicely. So, really to understand Pepcon, we can't start with the actual day of the explosion because we kind of need to know how we got there. So we're going to go back as they say, to the very beginning. Here's a good place to start. <laughs> January 28th, 1986 did not begin like many others. The date blanketed the airwaves for the previous months and only increased in the days before. Across the United States, grade school children gathered around television sets, while those in Florida, those close enough, gathered in fields and on decks and balconies. It was cold. 36 degrees Fahrenheit or 2.2 degrees Celsius were the exact temperatures and a full 15 degrees, which is uh, 15 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 9.4 degrees Celsius, colder than any mission before. Despite concerns and warnings, the Challenger shuttle launched on January 28th after nearly a week of delays. It was 11.38 a.m. Eastern time. It was the Challenger's 10th mission. On board were seven crew members, including who would be the first teacher in space. And her actual title was payload specialist because they need to categorize what everyone is. Sure. 73 seconds into the flight, thousands of Americans watched in horror as the unthinkable happened. Having cracked in the frigid conditions, O-rings intended to contain the high pressure and intense heat of the rocket propellant had failed. In seconds, the Challenger shuttle exploded over the Atlantic. It is believed that some of the astronauts may have survived the initial explosion, only to die upon impact with the waters below. While the country mourned the loss of seven American heroes, and the controversy swirled around the cause of the accident, a thorough investigation began. The shuttle program was grounded, and measures were taken to store and maintain all materials related until it was deemed safe to resume missions. These well-meant actions would eventually lead to the largest domestic, non-nuclear explosion in recorded history. The blast would leave 372 injured, two dead, and cause approximately $100 million in damage. Whoa. How's that for an intro? Yeah, I, I can't believe I've never heard of this. It's, again, it's so weird because this is one of those things that you would think just because the size of the explosion mm -hmm. and its connection to the Challenger mission, the 
uh, connection to the U.S. military and the connection to NASA, this would have a lot more press than it really does have, but it's very much a forgotten thing, and I sadly think it's because the death toll was only two. But the injury and the, like, amount of damage and the size of the expl- like, that's still- As we get into the story more and more, you'll see why, uh- even though it was bad, why could have been so much worse than it was? And really, it's just dumb luck that it wasn't. So, did you give me an explicit lead-in from the Challenger to Pepcon, and I was thinking about Pop Rocks at that moment? Or did I miss <laughs> <laughs> So, I'll actually explain to you how they relate. But okay. this is really, if this were a domino effect, that cold morning would be the first one falling. Oh. And then the O-rings cracking. And then them deciding to go through anyway. And then this, and then that. Oh. And then further down this whole line of chaos, we get to Pepcon. Wow. Okay. The Pacific Engineering and Production Company was one of the two plants in the country which produced AP, also known as ammonium perchlorate. And this is an oxidizer which is used in solid rocket propellant boosters. Pacific Engineering Production Company is also known as Pepcon. So this propellant that they create is often used in military weapons, such as submarine-launched ballistic missiles, or SLBMs, non-weaponized programs such as Atlas and Patriot, and NASA. PEPCON, which was then located in Henderson, Nevada, was only 1.5 miles or 2.4 kilometers away from Kermagee, which is the only other U.S. producer of AP. Okay. So that's kind of how it starts. Ammonium perchlorate. Yes, but for the sake of this podcast and us not stumbling over that, we're just going to call it AP. I just think Associated Press every time you say AP. That's why I needed to d- the double check. <laughs> that AP, that real explosive thing. I want heck of a story. <laughs> this okay. has been 1930s newspaper man. The only other manufacturer. So, but here's, again, the sad thing is Pepcon is one of two. They produce more, but they're right next to each other. <laughs> is that like just where all the AP is or like well, so all the, the materials, I mean? One of the things to remember about Nevada is that there is nothing there. Most of the land is either abandoned, they're old mine shafts, or it's owned by the military. One of the reasons the military likes to do a lot of testing out there is because it is so dry and so uninhabitable and there are so few people out there. So uh, Nevada was used for uh, nuclear testing after Hiroshima and Nagasaki. A lot of things happen out there. It's actually one of the reasons why uh, Area 51 slash Dreamland slash every other nickname the government has for it is located where it is and why we have Nellis Air Force Base in a similar area because there's just a lot of flat, empty land to do a lot of shit on. All right. So Henderson, Nevada is actually just a city that's to the southeast and alongside the Las Vegas Valley. Now, Henderson used to kind of be more off in the distance when I was born, but today Las Vegas almost collides directly with it. They're kind of laid up against each other. Just because of expansion of both places? Yeah, so uh, the Las Vegas Valley mostly started you know, closer to the Strip. By the time I was a kid, it expanded out more towards like a Saharan rainbow, and since then it's exploded out to the mountains ranges. Okay. Henderson was very much in its infancy around this time um, and it has since then just exploded as well with a lot of suburban areas going up and it's actually more of a traditional 
town or city than obviously Las Vegas is. <laughs> I think most places are. You know, I didn't know that as a kid. <laughs> sure, that was your norm. Yeah, I was like, oh, you know, obviously there are always going to be video poker machines in the gas station. <laughs> yeah, everyone grew up with those. <laughs> obviously. I remember uh, one of the only IMAX theaters when I was a kid was located inside the Luxor. So just imagine, like, all these, like, grade school kids <laughs> being marched on through all the smokers. Oh, my God. <laughs> and obviously it's a Christian private school, so the teachers aren't quite fond of what's happening. <laughs> and you're marching through all the sin just so you can see a documentary on the deep blue sea. See, I'm imagining being an adult in that casino, being like, the fuck? <laughs> they let kids in here? What are, what are we doing here? Why are there jumpers in here? Did someone lose their house and their car, so now they've had their children repossessed? <laughs> when I was a kid, people would actually ask my brother and I what hotel we lived in. <laughs> what? And I, I shit you not, it's a question I get all the time. So frequently, it actually got to the point where I was like, yeah, my dad's a blackjack dealer and my mom's a stripper. <laughs> yeah, I guess you have to, like, embrace it at some point. It was a very weird place <laughs> to grow up. I have many, many stories. I couldn't do an entire episode just based on my weird shit that's happened to me while living in Vegas. That could be a multi-part series, I'm sure. That could be its own podcast. Yeah. <laughs> shit Alex has gone through. <laughs> Again, Henderson is the city just to the southeast of Las Vegas. Now, prior to the Challenger disaster, Pepcon did store in excess of AP and high-density polyethylene, also known as HDPE. We will not be saying that again. <laughs> for the United States at its Nevada facility. So it essentially already kind of had stockpiles of it. Okay. I would think as a manufacturer, you'd always want to have just like a little bit of a surplus on hand, just in case. Sure, okay. just in case someone needs a lot of it real fast. Yeah, just, you know, a rainy day fund. You know, we, we might need some missiles. I need 10 tons of AP. Stat! <laughs> I mean, like, you know, Cold War may not be a thing anymore, but we might still need a kill someone. Yeah, that's reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> like you do. This is also, um, I guess putting this into context, I mean, this is the late 80s, so this is also pre-Gulf War, and we know that things like the Patriot Program were being used during the Gulf War. Yes, the Patriot Program, which we all know about. <laughs> you don't know about the Patriot? I don't. <laughs> how, how could you tell? So... The Patriot Missile, and actually I could do an entire episode just on the Patriot Missile alone, but the short version is, the idea is that it would be a device that would intercept missiles before they could strike American troops. Oh, okay. Essentially. Cool. Yeah, I was thinking Patriot Act, and that was the only thing that I had frame of reference-wise. Well, you remember Robin Hood Men in Tights when he pulls out the Patriot Arrow? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's the joke. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> I, that, I really learned something there. HDPE is often used to produce uh, plastic bottles, corrosion-resistant piping, as well as numerous other products. Though Pepcon was home to the surplus for years, the grounding of the shuttle program actually led to a substantial increase in materials stored there. So at the time, any excess that the government had, they just gave to Pepcon to hold on to while they did a big investigation to the shuttle program. Oh. Because at that point in time, because we didn't yet know what caused the accident, they didn't want to risk it happening again. Sure, so we put a halt on everything and we need some place to put it while we're conducting the investigation. Exactly. And on top of that, uh, Pepcon did already already have its own surplus, so they just had all these drums of AP just sitting around. Now, these materials were stored in drums outside the main facility. Uh, despite the heat of the Mojave Desert Sun, an ignition was 
very unlikely. So the things that you need for ignition are you need... The remix to ignition. <laughs> well, I stand corrected. <laughs> there are four things you need. <laughs> and you don't need the remix to ignition because the person who sings it's also a fucking shitbag. As she takes a long, slow sip. <laughs> okay, so for ignition, there are three things you always need. You need oxygen... You need fuel. Fuel, that's the thing. Yeah, you need oxygen, you need fuel, and then you and need a spark. A, a spark. Okay, so if you only have two of those things... It's like not a, gonna happen. Okay. So, like, if it's just a cold day and it's left just sitting, like, with the barrel open, it would be harmless because there's nothing that can trigger it. And one of the reasons why they felt safe leaving it even covered in the barrels in the Las Vegas desert heat is you need to know about the ignition point of this material. Okay. So, temperatures in the Las Vegas Valley, I can actually personally verify that it can peak between 115 and 120 degrees during the daytime, which is also 46 to 48 degrees Celsius. And these materials required 176 degrees Fahrenheit or 80 degrees Celsius to ignite. So even under the hottest conditions in the desert, it was highly unlikely that this was going to explode. Okay. That is, until May 4th, 1988. And that's when a perfect storm of circumstance led to the ignition of the full Pepcon payload. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, the whole thing. I mean, I guess that makes... I, I guess I don't, like... I don't know what I was picturing, but I, I didn't think that everything would go. So for the sake of, uh, of our listeners, we'll actually post on our website links to the video of the explosion. And in one of the videos, you can actually, if you look at the factory that's in the background, it vaporizes. And you can actually see the shockwave. We get it, you vape. <laughs> Calm down, Vegas. <laughs> wow. Okay, yeah, I'd like to see that. Why do you think we have so much smoke in all of our magic shows? <laughs> <laughs> to hide all the vaporizing hazardous material? Actually, just to save on money, we just like put a bunch of stoners back there. That's why we legalized down there. <laughs> oh, that's good. And the, yeah, that gives people something to do if they're just going to smoke. Yeah, just, just chill. Go see a show. <laughs> they give them the big hats. <laughs> So, a recent windstorm in the Las Vegas Valley damaged a fiberglass and sealed building on the Pepcon campus. And I can guarantee that the windstorms in Vegas can get very severe, and we'd also have very severe dust storms in the desert. So, if you've ever been bitch-slapped with sand like I have, Anakin Skywalker probably has. He hates sand. You know what? <laughs> Terrible line, but I fucking hate sand, too. I'm not, I mean, like, nobody wants, like sand in their bits that they don't want sand in. It's you know, just... I also just went to butt crack, so I appreciate you saying it that way. <laughs> <laughs> butt crack. Um, yeah, no, uh, I used to live in Abilene, Texas, and it is very windy there as well. There's, like, notorious windstorms. Like, some days you're like, must be windy because you look out your window and the sky's just brown. I remember those days. Yeah. I, remember, I actually remember a windstorm coming through one day when I was at a mall with some friends. Mm. So windstorm came in and it dried out everything on my car. And then we had a rainstorm, like maybe two hours after, but it had dried out my wiper blades. That It was like using a dull knife to oh try my to God. get the rain off my windshield. It sounded awful. Yeah, but I've, uh, I've been bitch slapped with uh, sand in my eyes before. That's the worst thing, because I wear contacts, and it's like, cool, I guess I'm just going to go deal with this. Many layers of pain. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get some sand under the contacts, some sand on top of the mm, contacts. Going to inhale some on accident. <laughs> you know, healthy things. Yeah, good stuff. And yet, if you have consumption, is the best place to be. 
So one of these buildings on the campus was damaged in one of the windstorms, and so I guess you could say this building was bitch slapped by sand. And on that morning, there were a group of welders that were conducting repairs, and they'd done repairs like this in the past. But to their horror, a single spark leapt away from the usual cascade and landed not far from the 55-gallon drums. Wait, 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 hang on. So, this is routine, where the welders were welding near where all the flammable material was? This was, like, just what we do? Yeah, that's just what we do. Okay. That's just what we do. Well, I have a problem with that. <laughs> like, they're like, oh no, not the usual cascade of sparks near the flammable. This time it's too, clo- too close to the flammable. Like, Jesus. So... On paper, you could understand why they would have thought this was an okay idea. Now, remember, they've been storing a surplus for years, and they usually didn't have this much at the facility. That's, oh yeah, and that's right. And now the barrels were a lot closer than uh, they were supposed to be. Okay. Also, the facility is supposed to be cleaned, sanitized, that way you know it's up to safety standards, because you obviously don't want this material getting on your clothing, and then you go out for a cigarette on your lunch, and then you're just fucked. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I wasn't, like, blaming the individual welders, I was just like, it seems like there's a clear issue with this, but you're right, the way things have evolved over time with the storage. Yeah, under the perfect circumstances, it shouldn't have been a problem. Okay. But the problem is, AP actually cut a lot of corners when it came to safety. Mm. So there were actual uh, first responders that said that they would do inspections on the facility before this uh, fire actually happened, before this explosion. And they would just see AP on everything. Like, there would be material on the ground. Remember, this is a solid propellant. Oh my goodness. So it's more like a powder is on everything. Uh. Where, you know, maybe like a gasoline or something may evaporate to a degree in the desert sun. Or it could be washed away with a hose. Right, something solid is going to stick a lot more. Exactly. And this building that was damaged was one of their drying facilities where they would cure the AP. And this facility, every crack, every surface, had at least a thin coating on every part of it. Mm. Now, again, first responders did say that when they would go in for inspections, they'd actually see like piles of AP on the floor. I don't know what it was like in this actual drying facility at the time, if they just like had mountains of the shit everywhere, or if it was just because there was like a fine silty sediment on everything, is sure. what made it more flammable. Okay. So originally the welders wanted to try to obviously stop the fire, so they went <laughs> out and they grabbed some fire hoses hoping that they could extinguish it but unfortunately the fire was growing so quickly that they realized they couldn't put it out and on top of that as it began to consume the building it got closer and closer to the payload nearby oh my god at this time i think we should talk about how bad this is (laughs) so at the time of the explosion or at the time of this spark in this runaway fire there were more than four thousand tons of ap on site do you know like what the usual was near nowhere nowhere near four thousand tons not not that much oh my god even like a quarter of that's still a thousand tons but if it's stored away from potential ignition points then fine yeah and actually you can see online even old news footage of them going out to inspect the ap site long before this explosion happened and you can just see the stacks and stacks of barrels and everything that's just being held out there because mm. it's one thing to have like a little bit there but this is exorbitant it gets worse don't worry <laughs> so there were more than four thousand tons of ap on site And as Pepcon was a primary manufacturer, the majority of the facility was coated with a gentle residue. So even though this drying room had it, 
it was pretty much everywhere. Yeah, I think like that's such a hard thing about something that's like particulate matter like that, because how do you control it? Yeah, and so once the workers realized the danger and they realized they couldn't put out the fire, they just took off. They just started... <laughs> well, yeah, because they're like, I can't do anything about this. I'm just going to die. Just cue the Benny Hill music. <laughs> <laughs> Not long after, Roy Westerfield, who was the Pepcon comptroller, called 911 once word of the initial fire spread. This was just after 11.30 a.m. And now I'm actually going to play a portion of that 911 recording for you. For our listeners, I will be splicing it into this part of our episode... Now, it's a little bit garbled and it is a little bit cut. We don't have the full 911 audio. The full transcript can be read online, but we don't have the full audio. And this audio was actually taken from a news clip that Channel 3, the NBC provider of news down in Las Vegas, put together on the 30th anniversary. So it's an older audio. So you may hear a little bit of music in the background. That's just the audio from the station. Okay. We just had a big, big explosion and everything's on fire. Okay, what's the name of the business? Pacific Engineering. We're Gibson Road and the Los Angeles Henderson cutoff. Okay. So, again, I'll just play that for you one more time. Yeah. Again, this is the uh, comptroller of the facility, Roy Westerfield. We just had a big, big explosion and everything's on fire. Okay, what's the name of the business? Pacific Engineering. Gibson Road and the Los Angeles Henderson cutoff. Okay. So, uh, if you didn't catch that, he says, we've had a big explosion and everything's on fire. Can I just say, the tone in which this man, this comptroller says it, I, it's almost like, yeah, well, the dog got out again today, so I guess we need to drive around looking for him. Like, I, how are you this calm? Like, yeah, well, there's a big explosion and everything's on fire. Like, it's it's impressive how, how like, cool yeah. and collected he is. You can kind of hear during, like, his first words when he's like, we've had a big explosion. Like, the way he, the cadence of his voice, you can hear kind of the fear in it. Sure, and then he immediately composes himself and, exactly. like, delivers the information. He's like, we are Pacific engineering we're out here by gibson road yeah it's just going straight into the like okay what will get them here what what do i need to do like i'm impressed with like the getting shit done in the moment of it yeah i mean as you know uh i recently was witness to a fire back in october of 2018 because of course you were (laughs) (laughs) because this is my life damn it (laughs) because the only thing that'll wake you up is a fire obviously (laughs) but i remember i was running down the stairs like put in like a boot on with one foot and have like the phone to my head and I'm calling 911 because there's a fucking fire and uh, she goes uh, 911 what's your emergency as they always do and my first words were yeah we have an emergency <laughs> <laughs> so what the number is for Alex <laughs> we know I promise I'm not just a kid calling because my mom left me alone no there's a real emergency ma'am please listen I was like yeah we have an emergency Emergency. Thank you for asking. <laughs> no, everything is not fine, ma'am. What's your emergency? How did you know? <laughs> but then, like, I wanted to. We've got a, we've got a fire, and she was like, "Are you calling about it at this block in Queen Anne?" I was like, "Yes, they're already on the way." Thank you. Have a good night. <laughs> like I'm still working customer service with the 911 operator. Remember to take our survey. Thank you. <laughs> 
please rate me a 10. They count everything else as total abject failure. <laughs> Hashtag retail trauma. <laughs> so that's at 11.30. Now, on the west end of the Las Vegas Valley, there's a baby. Her name is Alex. Ah, uh, I love her. He's me. So I was apparently asleep in the backyard at my grandmother's house. Now, the half-acre property next door was actually given to my parents. The wooden frame of the first and second floor of uh, the first and second story were complete, but on that day, the trusses were to be installed. And if you don't know what a truss is, it's essentially the triangular part that gives you the shape of the roof. I did not know what that was. Now you know. My dad was at work that day. My mom was still on maternity leave with me. And my dad wanted her at the house because he just wanted her to kind of keep an eye on things and just let him know if something went crazy. Because again, this was the day before cell phones. So this is my grandparents' house. My grandparents aren't there. They were probably working at our family jewelry store at the time. And my mom was in the backyard with me surveying the construction workers when all of a sudden they just stopped now imagine a bunch of just you know burly 90s construction workers oh yeah i do every night before i fall asleep i got a feeling <laughs> i'm just trying to give you some fodder to think about tonight thank you you're welcome i'm just gonna give you some new material every now and then see you tonight hank of course does hank have a mustache he does what kind of mustache a big thick one <laughs> Okay, now in my head, Hank is a young Sam Elliott, and I'm okay with this. Who is that? I was picturing Tom Selleck. Oh, oh you know, that's a good one, too. Hi there. And that mustache. They're both going to be there tonight. <laughs> it's that voice with Sam Elliott. Oh, God, oh, God. That, that voice. voice. Uh, I, a Star is Born is coming to HBO, like, this month or some shit, and I was like, fuck you. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. I've only Sam seen it Elliott twice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sam Elliott. He's Bradley Cooper's brother in the movie. <laughs> Not in real life. You know, I can actually kind of see that. Yeah. They both I, have kind of like a very like beak-like nose. It's like good casting, I yeah. think. Yeah, I think that's good. I think that works well together. Construction Sam workers. Elliot, take his shirt off? <laughs> uh, no. So, anyway, so the construction workers are supposed to be putting the trusses on the roof, and all of a sudden, they just stop. And all these burly, you know, manly men construction workers are just staring off east. And according to my mom, they weren't even moving. She didn't even know if they were blinking. And at first she was thinking, maybe something happened, or there, sometimes you could see dust devils in the distance, so maybe they were just, like, looking at something like that. But they weren't moving. Did she know what time it was? Were they Muslim? Were they praying to Mecca? Cut it out. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> but that's, that, like, it's a really eerie image, though. Like, this idea of, like, okay, I'm just gonna go out and everything's happening. And, like, they're doing what there's, what the, what? No one's doing any, what's happening? Like, what's, yeah. like. It's like life just stops. Right. What a, like, kind of eerie, like. Like, it'd be the perfect beginning of a scary movie if this were a horror movie. Mm, yeah. Just the quiet day where everything just seems innocent and the mom's going back and forth between the baby and the construction site and then the construction workers are not moving. Mm. All right. Yeah, unsettling. So finally she asked what's going on and they said it looks like something blew up out by the airport. So I need to explain a few things about the geography of Las Vegas. So I apologize in advance. Unacceptable. I'm not going to be changing this to kilometers. I'm sorry for our much smarter international listeners. America just hasn't gotten their shit together yet. Since you guys are so much smarter, you can do the conversion yourselves. In your head. We trust you. Pepcon was about 20 miles away from our home in Las Vegas, so it was on the opposite side of the valley. The airport was about, I would say, 
12 miles away from our home. So it was approximately half the distance. Okay. So the explosion was so large that they actually thought it was closer to the airport than it was to the house. When the airport was actually closer to a halfway mark, a little bit closer to Pepcon. Whoa. So like the scale of it was like fucked up. Exactly. Wow. The scale of that is hard to understand. It's, yeah, it's just, it's insane. And she just saw this black plume on the horizon. Now, because we had the crane going at the time, because they were, again, putting the trusses on the roof of our house, she couldn't hear the explosion, but you could definitely feel like a little bit of a shake. Mm. But they told her about it during the first large explosion. I'll paint that scene for you. And according to my mom, this is a direct quote from her. We knew it wasn't a plane, but we couldn't think of what could be that big. I could tell it was on the other side of the freeway, in this case being the I-15, but we couldn't tell how far. So I asked my mom, you you couldn't tell how far it was? You thought it was closer? And she said, yeah, you couldn't tell. I couldn't believe how far it weighs. It was just so big. Wow. So even when she knew the actual distance, she still couldn't believe it. I was like, I can't square that. So on the other side of town, her co-worker Annette was on maternity leave as well. Her child was born just a little bit before I was, but she already had two other kids. On this particular day, Annette had two daughters and an infant with her, and they were playing out in the yard. So the three were in the yard at about 11.51 when the first payload detonated. Immediately, she rushed to bring her children inside. So she just grabs the baby and then goes back for the girls. Good instincts. So she takes the baby off the front swing, and then she goes back for her daughters. As the group ran into the house, the second large explosion hits. It's so hard that it knocks all three into the house, and the swing went through the window. Oh my god. And that was in Henderson. Glass shattered around them, the children cried, and the mother ended up just getting minor bruises. They actually ended up later on, that ended up being the children's only injuries was just the cuts from the glass. And that ended up being like one of the most prevalent injuries following this, surprisingly. Now the first explosion triggered at 11.51 a.m., igniting approximately 4,000 tons of AP or 1,800 kilograms of AP. The yield of the blast was estimated between 17 and 41 kilograms of TNT equivalent. That was not the largest, but there were still barrels of AP on site, and unbeknownst at the time, there was also a natural gas pipeline beneath the facility. Oh my god! How How is that unknown at the time? Like, it's it just seemed- one of those things that they weren't even thinking about, but they were probably <laughs> thinking that it was so far underground and the likelihood of this happening had all other safety procedures been followed. Sure. That there was no way it would be able to get that far. It just seems like one of those, like, since it's so, since it's such a giant bare place, why are you going to build your facility on top of this fucking natural gas pipeline? Even, like, even if there's, like, a very tiny chance that anything's ever gonna, like, just build it somewhere else in the fucking desert. Nothing about this <laughs> makes sense. I mean, uh, again, one of the things that really spurred me to do this is watching Chernobyl, which I know you didn't enjoy. <laughs> I very much enjoyed. I'm sorry. <laughs> Honestly, just watch the last episode, because in the last episode they do the trial where they explain how everything happened. Uh, yeah, I'd like to learn about I wanted to yeah. learn about it. So it just, just made it impossible for yeah, me. Yeah, just watch the last episode. Okay. But in the last episode, they explain how all these really stupid fucking decisions they made at the facility leading up to the explosion. Mm. So if things had been done correctly, if anyone had just corrected course at almost any point during this chain of events, 
this whole thing could have been avoided. So it's kind of like the significance of like any one person's role, like feels like it could be nothing, but it actually, it could be everything. Yeah. So essentially when it comes down to Chernobyl, uh, there's a guy who's really pushing at the reactor to get this test done because he thinks it'll pretty much make him look good. And even when people are like, the core is poison, we need to like let it air for 24 hours. We can't go further. I don't recommend doing this. He's like, I know what I'm doing to your fucking job. And he's verbally abusive. And he's just very much like, just fucking do it. Mm. Um, like all the best bosses. <laughs> of course, of course. Dude, I fucking hate this guy for watching Chernobyl. <laughs> Again, had he listened to his crew and been like, nope, you're right, there's too much xenon in the core, we need to let it air out, and then we can go back into it if they hadn't let it just idle at half power for 10 hours, if they hadn't done this, if they hadn't done this, if they'd made these minor corrections, instead of just like pushing it and pushing it and Mm. pushing it, it would have been fine. So parallel thing here like if if somebody somewhere had like if just one of these factors hadn't been in place and i'm not going to pretend that the chernobyl facility was set up perfectly because one of the things that they do talk about in the end is because of how the soviet union cut certain corners on safety to save money was one of the reasons that Chernobyl ended up exploding, just because they were just like, eh, let's just make it happen. Like, the the consideration for human life versus capital is not, like, balanced in the way we'd want it to be. (laughs) Yeah, here's actually something very important to point out about Pepcon, and it's actually one of the reasons why it's probably better that it happened when it did than happened later on. There was not a building exclusion zone around the facility. Whoa, what? Yeah. Well, sure, yeah. Run your run your pipelines under it. Put your schools up next to it. Exactly. Bring your groups of children through to see the IMAX. <laughs> so, I mean, that is a scary fucking thing to oh think God. about. And I'll actually get into the numbers on that even more later. But again, it's another one of those things where they weren't thinking about it. They were thinking if there's a fire on the facility, there's no guarantee you would hit the payload because we normally don't have that much and the payload was much stronger than it normally would have been, which was able to crack through the ground, which was able to cause the ignition of the natural gas line. But like the thought process should not be like, we can probably swing it. It should be like, hey, let's not have all the flammable sh- <laughs> Like, <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> Trust me. I know we're on the, I know I know we're on the, the same, same side thing, here. But... I can also see kind of the logic that they were using. Sure. I mean, the very flawed logic, but <laughs> I can see the thought process. Because uh, they were just like, we'll cut money this way, we'll build in the middle of the desert where there isn't anybody, and blah, blah, blah. A lot of rationalization. Yeah, yeah. So the first explosion, so again, they didn't know that there was a natural gas pipeline beneath the facility, or rather first responders didn't know that. Okay. Though it's often referred to as a second blast, it was actually the fourth of seven blasts that was the largest. Now, it was the fourth blast that sent the swing through the window in in Henderson. This blast was recorded at a 3.5 on the Richter scale, some 600 miles away in Colorado. God. This explosion has been estimated to be the equivalent of one kiloton of TNT, about the same yield as a tactical nuclear weapon. Good God. So imagine if there was radiation with this. Ugh. This would have been a total shit show. Yeah. It's a good thing this was non-nuclear. Yeah. So one of the things that also kind of worked to their benefit in the situation is only five miles away, eight kilometers from the scene, was the Henderson Fire Department. 
Now, the fire chief just happened to be outside getting air when he noticed the smoke on the horizon and immediately called for all of his vehicles to head out towards the site. Smart. So he was still on the way the fire chief was to the scene in a first responding vehicle when the first blast hit. It blew out the windows on his car. And by the time he got out of the car, the second blast hit, or rather the fourth, the second large blast, and it nearly destroyed it. Oh my gosh. In total, there were seven blasts that shook the Henderson-Las Vegas Valley. Within an hour, it was concluded the chemicals released could cause respiratory complications. Though evacuation- Oh! <laughs> you don't say! Inhaling all this explosive shit and debris not good for me? I mean, I grew up in Las Vegas, so I think we just, like, snorted rocket propellant and sand every day, which is why I hate it so much. But it's probably like, this is above and beyond yeah. that. There's also some theories that the uh, sand, or well, actually, it's not a theory, it's actually true that a lot of sand in the Nevada area was actually radiated by all those atomic tests, which may or may not have killed John Wayne. Wow. Next time on Crackpot Cocktail Hour. <laughs> <laughs> so I just may have been snorting radiation my whole life. That explains a lot, actually. I think you should, it's given you powers. <laughs> <laughs> That's where my psychic theory should come from. <laughs> That's my origin story. <laughs> radioactive. Radioactive. Nice. Actually, I did go to high school with Dan Reynolds. Yeah? He was a year ahead of me. He was a senior. I was a junior. And actually, I got there my sophomore year, so I guess he was uh, a junior when I was a sophomore. But I wish... Actually, I could probably find video of it, but we did this thing called The Weekly Show, where it was kind of like their cool, hip way to do announcements. And one of the two anchors was Dan Reynolds. Wait, who's Dan Reynolds? Is he radioactive? I thought that was another- He's the lead singer of Imagine Dragons. Oh! I'm sorry. This was a different radioactive song that I was thinking of. I don't know why. Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. You went, So you went to school with the Imagine Dragons guy? Yes. Shit. And you did like a show with him? No, no, no. I didn't do a show oh, with him. Oh, but was, he was he on was it? He was on this show, the weekly show. And uh, they actually, I remember like they would every now and then do little interviews or like little survey interviews for the school. And in one of the interviews, he actually asked me a question. And the question was, what toothpaste do you use? <sighs> What was your answer? Colgate. I feel like we always either had Crest or Colgate. Yeah, I'm like, I couldn't, I'm not sure I could tell you which one we have right now. <laughs> My dad is real big about his Aquafresh. Oh, yeah. People who are into Aquafresh, like, are, oh, they're a single toothpaste person. They're, like, the mentadent people. Yeah. With their cartridges. But actually, he might be a Crest person now because they do the whitening strips. Oh, well, yeah. That'll, that'll convert you. He's like, whitening power? Fuck you, stripey toothpaste. <laughs> you threw it in the trash i'm not a part of your tooth care <laughs> so respiratory complications believe it or not <laughs> might not be the best idea to breathe that in i choose not it makes you stronger the government's lying to us so though evacuation was considered once the main payload and natural gas ignited only the inferno remained so after these first seven explosions and you can see the difference when I say seven explosions, because you're probably imagining just atom bomb after atom bomb after atom yeah, bomb. Yeah, but they're different size. Yeah, there were like the two main really big ones. And that fourth one that was the 3.5 of the Richter scale, that was the one that vaporized the building that sent out the visible Knocked out the wave. windows, knocked over the bomb. Yeah, but when you see the other explosions, you can see in the video, it's just like these little pops. Okay. And so it's, they were still explosions, but they weren't nearly as catastrophic as those two big ones. Okay. 
So once everything had ignited and everything had blown up, there was no more a risk of anything else exploding. There was just the fire at the facility. Oh yeah, your turn of phrase I really liked. It made me want to get a tattoo, which lots of things do and nothing has ever made it happen. Um, only the Inferno remained. Only the Inferno remained. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a great like metal album, like emo metal album. Yeah. <laughs> We're the Risk Cutters and this is our new album. Only the Inferno remained. <laughs> While the hospitals in the area were braced for a catastrophe, they canceled all their disaster plans four hours after the beginning, after the first fire started. And they actually didn't get the natural gas turned off until one o'clock. They just let that on, like, the eternal flame, leave it burning. <laughs> so I don't know if it's that they had to get, like, to a distance or if they needed a specialist to go out and just, like, turn that son of a bitch right. off. They were trying, is what you're saying. Yeah, they were I'm just like, fuck that noise. I'm sure it's more complicated than just, you know, flipping a switch and be like, okay, no more gas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> and again, at this point, it had already ignited. So, I mean, there was gas being fueled into it, but there was no more cause right. to expect another explosion at that point in time. Only the Inferno remained. <laughs> Only the this is the name of the episode. Oh, Only yeah. the Inferno remained. I like that. So they canceled all emergency evacuation plans and all disaster plans by four hours after. Wow. Now to give you some numbers. EMS or emergency services did transport about a hundred patients to nearby hospitals, and another two or th or three hundred patients went on their own volition. Lacerations from broken glass were the largest cause of injury. Respiratory in, uh, irritation was also reported. And 15 firefighters were injured due to the fire, the blast, or both. Wow. But again, most of the injuries were just overall minor injuries. There were some more severe cases. I think, like, it's interesting because you said that... I think you're on to something that, like, part of the reason not that many people know about or remember this is because the death count was low. But I think that's part of what makes it remarkable is... Yeah, yeah. Um, there are a couple of, again, very lucky reasons the death count was so low. It was when he arrived at the facility, the fire chief heard from the people who worked there, the workers that were fleeing the facility, that there was a danger of an explosion. And once he realized that, he called back everybody. He didn't just keep everybody going mm. to the scene. He was like, no, guys, you need to stop and go back. Right, yeah. And actually, the triage center that they set up was several miles away from the site. So they didn't even, like, set up shop, like, right next door. They're like, we don't know how many more explosions there's going to be. We don't know what the new risks are. We just need to make sure that we're not in the blast zone so we can help people when this is all over. Do you know who the people who died were? There were two people who died in it. Unfortunately, one of them was our friend Roy. Oh. So Roy Westerfield was the comptroller of the Pepcom facility. Wow. He had polio when he was younger. And so because of that, he had physical limitations, which prevented him from leaving the facility. Oh my goodness. But he did, even though he was stuck there, remained behind after one explosion and a fire to call 911. Wow. That's sad and also kind of, like beautiful like the heroism and the like I will I will do my duty and keep this from getting any worse yeah yeah um and also terrible because it feels like we should have things where disabled people can get out of places quickly so they don't have to die yeah yeah I mean again one of the lucky things is even if Roy had left it was seen by the fire chiefs there were first responders in route but at the same time, it's an incredible sacrifice. Yeah, it's an argument for accessibility. <laughs> yeah. So the other victim was a man named Bruce Hulker, and he was a plant manager who was wheelchair bound. Mm. So just- Shit. 
Just like Westerfield, it was entirely because of his physical limitations he was unable to escape the facility. That makes me so sad and angry. Like, <laughs> So those were, unfortunately, you know, the two deaths okay. involved. Now, the damage radius was significant. It reached up to 10 miles or 16 kilometers away from ground zero. Windows were shattered, doors were blown off hinges, power lines collapsed, and McCarran International Airport, which is only 7 miles or 11 kilometers away from the blast site, like I said, it was about halfway between where my mom lived and the others, and uh, where the plant was, it felt the blast. The doors that were closed actually blew inward and windows cracked, and at the time there was a Boeing 737 on approach to the airport that actually buffeted because of the blast. Whoa. And I actually had here in my notes to put in a little bit about flight paths over Las Vegas to sure. explain how this kind of happened. There are usually two routes that a lot of airlines use to land, uh, or landing paths that airlines use to land at McCarran Airport. One of the most common ones I've noticed when I travel is it likes to... The plane will usually approach from the west, fly over the valley, circle over Henderson, and then kind of bend northward and then back west, and then land at McCarran. So it'll come from east to west, even okay. if you're coming originally from the west. Okay. Because the plane needs to kind of spiral down. Where it would have gone is it would have flown right over the facility, turned around, and then begun its approach to the airport with the facility then kind of under the tail wing. Wow. Or behind the tail wing. So does buffeted mean like it was shaken or pushed off its path? It was kind of like bucked like a horse. Ugh. So it just kind of... <sighs> in How case anyone didn't get that, that was... <laughs> <laughs> How like weird to feel that in yeah. the air. Like, what the hell was that? A weird like little elevator stomach on your landing. Yeah. But the plane did land safely. That's good. But the amount of damage is surprising. And again, talking to my mom about it, she described how there were garage doors that were just crumbled. Like you would just see things that had been hit by the concussive shock of it. Wow. So due to the intensity of the fire, the firefighters actually made no attempt to extinguish the blaze and they just let it burn out. Once the gas was off, there was really no more risk. They just had to let the facility burn it out because again, there was only desert around it. Well, yeah. And I think like at a certain point, it's like, let's not risk lives when we know like how this is going to go and that there's the natural end to this if we can just get it turned off. Exactly. And uh, this actually ended up being a huge undertaking by a lot of emergency responders. So of those departments that did respond to this, it included the Henderson Police Department, Nevada Highway Patrol, the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, which those of us from Vegas just know as Metro, and the Nevada National Guard were among the first responders, and obviously the Henderson Fire Department. Roads were actually clogged at all directions for hours, both due to people fleeing the area or some people just trying to get a better look and take pictures. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a little bit column A, column B. Fucking rubbernecks. <laughs> so actually at the time, again, my mom is on the west side of town and she was actually standing in the street with my dad's video camera. And at this time, not a lot of people had video cameras or she didn't realize how many people did. It was still kind of a new thing. Sure. And this also wasn't like today where the second something happens, like we all watch Notre Dame burn down in real time. Yeah, because everybody had their phones out. Yeah, nobody did that back in the 90s. Yeah. So <laughs> let me go get this backpack that is strapped to my VCR <laughs> that I have to plug in somewhere and then haul it outside. So she took my dad's video camera thinking, I don't know what kind of a shot I'm going to be able to get, but I mean, I don't know if anyone else is going to be able to get one. So my dad actually has the video footage of the actual plume of smoke he doesn't know where it is but he actually does have a video of it but one of the things my mom was saying is had she known how many 
people were close that had video cameras and how many good angles they had, she wouldn't have even bothered. Sure, yeah, but you're like, who knows? Like Exactly, because you didn't know at the time. This is actually an exact quote from her on this. It wasn't like it is today. We didn't know how many people had video cameras. I didn't know how many people did have video cameras were filming, which is why you get so many good angles. Better shots than I got, she laughed. It took a while to get the news, but it was on within an hour or so. I just remember changing the channels, and then I tried the radio because you could sometimes get it on the uh, news on the radio. If I wasn't on maternity leave, my office was so close to the airport. I actually might have had a better story for you if I was at work. <laughs> That's such a great mom quote. So she actually told me that apparently like her co-workers were relaying to her how, how they were up on the roof of the building or out in the parking lot oh looking God. at it because that place that she was working for the county at the time was closer to McCarran Airport, so she would have been much, much closer than being on the opposite side of the valley. Good thing it was non-nuclear, because I am thinking of that part from the first episode of Chernobyl, where all the women and their babies are out on the bridge with all of the nuclear fallout raining down on them, and I'm like, Jesus Christ. Spoiler alert, they all died. Oh, really? (laughs) You don't say! They were murdered by who? Here's one of the things that's actually a little bit entertaining about this. 500 feet or 150 meters away from the Pepcom facility was the Kid and Company Marshmallow Factory. Did they all get toasted? (laughs) So there are stories of firefighters stomping through the marshmallows. Oh my god! (laughs) That's like, I'm trying to think, it's like um, dashing through the snow, but... (laughs) Well, like, I remember seeing this uh, headline from a fire at, like, a garlic bread factory in England or something, and it's like, it smelled so good, but I felt so bad. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, So, did you say there was another storage facility, like, right near it? Or was that part of the... Oh, you mean Kermigi? Yeah. Oh, yeah, and it also blew up. That was part of the explosion. Oh, yeah. Okay. All that went. Yeah, I figured. I just wanted to double check on that. Oh, I mean, if the marshmallow factory is destroyed. <laughs> wow. uh, now you know why the Stay Puff marshmallow guy was so angry. The marshmallow factory was only 50 feet or 100, 150 meters away. It sustained the most damage but uh, outside the facility itself. So of everything that was on campus, the next closest thing was the marshmallow factory. Just to the west of Pepcon, there was a gravel quarry that was near 3,000 feet or 900 meters away. Here's the scary part. The closest residential building to the Pepcon facility was about 1.75 miles, or 2.8 kilometers away. And remember, the blast radius was up to 10 miles away. Yeah. So you're not even two miles away from the facility. So all their windows were like blown out and shit? Pretty much, they were fucked. Yeah. All in all, the explosion caused approximately $100 million in damage, and now... I get this number from a lawsuit that followed this all up, and I'll go into that a little bit more in a minute. Okay. So in the aftermath, it was discovered both tragically and miraculously that there were only two deaths. So all that destruction, and still only two people died. And unfortunately, like you were saying, if they had just had better ways to help people with limited mobility out of a facility like that, they may have survived. Yeah, yeah, that's really like a... (laughs) It's, It's amazing. Yeah. But here's the scary thing. They were unable to escape, but the remains of neither victim were ever found. They were completely vaporized in the blast. Wow. We don't know when they died. They may have died before the actual explosion, or they may have died as a result of the explosion. We'll never know, because there's nothing left. Wow. Pepcon did close down, and it was relocated after the blast. 
The company moved near Cedar City, Utah, and renamed itself the Western Electrochemical Company, or WECO. Ah. So, W-E-C-C-O. So, if you ever see anything from that facility, this is formerly Pepcon. Now, the new AP plants were built, and the new campus voluntarily created a no-build buffer around the facility to prevent civilian impact in the event of another disaster. Now, again, remember what I said? There wasn't an exclusion to build zone around Pepcon. Apparently... That wasn't something that uh, legislature said that they had to do. Yeah, you said they just, like, they, this time they were just like, well, let's voluntarily do this, yeah. just to be nice. And I'm like, there should be some regulation around that. Yeah, so apparently late 80s, early 90s, in Cedar City, Utah, or around that area, there wasn't a specific rule that said if you're going to have this kind of chemicals, or if you're at risk for this, then you need to have an exclusion or buffer zone. Wow. But because of what happened in Nevada, Pepcon was just like, no, we're not going to risk it again. Or rather, Weco was like, we're not going to risk it again. Again, we're just going to go ahead and have this exclusion zone. Yeah. Well, another $100 million. <laughs> yeah. It actually did suffer its own tragedy on July 30th, 1997, when an explosion did kill one and injure four. This plant, however, is still in operation. Now, I intentionally didn't look too far into this explosion because I didn't want to fall down another rabbit hole. Sure. But just from kind of skimming over the reports that I did see on this, it looks like obviously it was nowhere near the size of the blast at Pepcon, and it looks like it was much more contained. And unlike in Pepcon, the injuries were actually just the workers on site. That doesn't make it better, but sure. there weren't people that were uninvolved at the company that got injured, like, with the Pepcon explosion. Right. Like, I, it's not good that your employees are being injured, but there is something about an assumed risk when you're working with dangerous chemicals that you don't have an assumed risk when you're just, like, a person buying a house, living your life with your kids. Exactly. So, because of Pepcon, in 1991, Nevada legislature passed the Chemical Catastrophe Prevention Act in response to this accident. This led to the Nevada Chemical Accident Prevention Program. Now, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here, which I was supposed to do on page one. But if you look at page one... (laughs) Everybody's got it in front of you, which includes Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Insert rant on how to pronounce Nevada. I hear one more motherfucker telling me that it's Nevada and not Nevada. I will kick him in the testicles. And now I will explain why. Nevada, yes, is a Spanish word. And in Spanish, traditionally, it is pronounced Nevada. Because it was the Sierra Nevada. And actually, if you want to pronounce it correctly, it's Sierra Nevada. That being said, even though Spanish settlers in the area or European Spanish-speaking settlers did originally get to the West before English-speaking ones did, the word Nevada was actually Americanized not by the more European English settlers, But that word actually came from the actual indigenous peoples of the area. So the Paiute, the Washu, the Shoshone tribes, they all called it Nevada by the time American citizens got to its border. And that's why we adopted that word, because that just seemed to be the agreed-upon name of the territory that we were in that was agreed upon by both the indigenous peoples and by the white settlers. So that's why it's Nevada, not Nevada. You don't say Los Angeles every time you go to LA. So don't bring your Nevada bullshit here. I was at the X airport the other day in Los Angeles. <laughs> Were you there for a fiesta? I was on a layover on my way to Ibiza. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> your belly's full of paella. <laughs> every night's a fiesta, Sasha. We love you, Andy Samberg. We do. Uh, Nevada. So one of the reports that I actually saw, um, and actually to back up a little bit, the anniversary of the Pepcon explosion was 31 years ago. 
So last year, Channel 3 in Las Vegas did a several night kind of documentary looking back on it that was hosted by Tom Hawley, a local news reporter. And I actually remember watching Tom Hawley on the news when I was a kid. I remember back when he was the traffic reporter. And they actually interviewed a gentleman who explained that what they didn't know at the time is that when AP is being maintained, when it's being shipped and it's moving, it's fine. But when it's stagnant long enough, it has a tendency to self-ignite. Oh, shit. They didn't know that at the time. Yeah. How could, like, I guess they wouldn't have, because, like, there hadn't been AP stored for a long time. Exactly. So there's no way to have known that. So they... It's most likely this welder's torch that was the cause of this whole explosion, but there's a chance that it could have just happened anyway. Well, and that, yeah, and that the conditions were extra ripe for that. Yeah, and again, on this occasion, it was just the perfect storm of circumstance. Wow. So if, you know, the Challenger hadn't gone through everything it had, if it hadn't been cold that morning and they launched anyway... Mm none of this would have happened. They wouldn't have had the excess uh, supplies there. They wouldn't have had this. They wouldn't have had that. One of the things that actually really ended up saving Pepcon in the end was the fact that the population in Henderson was about a quarter of the size that it is now. So even though it was tragic and it was close to a lot of residences, it wasn't the hub that it is today. It'd be like four times as many respiratory problems and associated injuries and things like that. In 1991, there was a court case that ended in a $72 million settlement, which is is $116 million in uh, 2018 dollars. This total was partly paid by multiple companies, including Pepcon and Southwest Gas Company. Actually, I later found out that the one of the attorneys in this case is a woman named Carrie Early. Now, Carrie Early is currently a district judge in, in a, the Nevada area. She, she, Carrie Early is currently five times fast. <laughs> Carrie Early. Carrie Early is actually currently sitting as a district judge in Nevada. She was a lawyer at the time, and her children went to the same daycare I did. Oh, wow. So her son and daughter were there at Grandma Honey's house with my brother Bob and uh, my best friend in the world, Jill, who is Grandma Honey's actual granddaughter. (laughs) Um, But she was actually a lawyer that was involved. And because she would talk about the court case while she was at Grandma Honey's with either Jan Jill's mom or with my mom, that's how my mom ended up finding out about like the entire lawsuit and how Southwest Gast was going to probably have to pay part of the bill before anybody else knew. Wow. The $100 million lawsuit was the full insurance estimate. So that's where we originally got the uh, first $100 million. But again, it was 1980s money. That's already been taken uh, care of. It's already been paid for. The $72 million is really the significant one which they had to pay. This was um, divided amongst a number of people, mostly victims of the accident and former workers of the Pepcom facility and first responders. Sure, that makes sense. On a happy note. Once everything was cleared, obviously AP did clean up its act. We talked about how they voluntarily put up all these safety measures that they weren't legally required to do. And again, even though they did have the one accident later on, it was much more contained. And it seems like their safety failures weren't safe because remember just that one explosion at Pepcon was huge. It caused that uh, 3.5 level on the Richter scale explosion. That's bananas. But if you can just have a small explosion that most people haven't even heard about and limit it to your facility, again, it's tragic that workers were injured and that there was a loss of life and that, but again, it's not as bad as it was with the original explosion and the original explosion could have been so much worse than it was. Yeah. Wow. Like imagine if Pepcon happened in the mid nineties instead of 
the late 80s. Like with all of the development. And... Exactly. I can't, I, I'm I know. still shocked that like I didn't know this happened and this is such a huge deal and like people died and people were hurt and there was property damage and there were like massive like changes because of this. Like people I'm sure reconsidered how to do like yeah. the storage of these materials and like we learned later about like how they ignite if they're stored. That's right. And uh, so this location where Pepcon was is now a business plaza in Henderson. And it's actually very close to a lot of the places in Henderson that I knew very well. <laughs> so I actually had a friend who uh, lived off of uh, Stephanie in Henderson. And then there's also the Silver Bowl out there where I used to play soccer. And that's not far from Sam Boyd Stadium where the Rebels play. And... Pepcon really wasn't far from a lot of those locations. Wow. And if anyone in Las Vegas or Nevada or Henderson knows kind of the geography of what I'm talking about, people down there know that that is a huge residential community. It's not far from like Sunset Station. And that sounds like a children's t- shining time station. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know about the station casinos. <laughs> I go bullshit on your Sunset Station. I've never been there and I know it's a lie. Anyway, uh, so like where it is now is just like a huge area. So wow. a lot more people would have been hurt had it happened later than when it did, so... Yeah, the timing was a perfect storm, but also kind of like, well, like, this is the way to actually minimize the collateral damage of everything. It's like, nature was like, it's now or never, guys. Yeah, and it's gonna be way worse if we wait longer. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. On a happy note, on September 29th, 1988, the Space Shuttle Discovery launched from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. It launched at 11.37 a.m. and was dubbed the return to flight mission. The crew of five spent four days in space, completing 64 orbits before they returned to Earth. Though the Discovery flew many times between 1988 and its decommission in 2011, its most notable journey is probably mission STS-95. This mission launched on October 29, 1998. It shuttled uh, with them a Mercury 7 astronaut, John Glenn. He was the first American to orbit the planet, completing three full rotations. Wow. Now, Discovery's 1998 landing, the mission with John Glenn on board, was delayed due to inclement weather left over from Hurricane Mitch. On November 7th, those in Florida received exciting news. The skies cleared and the shuttle would land that day. The first 500 civilians at the Kennedy Space Center would be let on the observation deck to view the event. At nine years old, I was due to leave from Orlando after a week's vacation to Disney World before going north to visit family in South Carolina. Instead, my family left their hotel before dawn, with me and my brother in the car. Our parents were certain to bring their video camera with them, a new one that they had gotten in the last year. Of the first 500 people to arrive at the Kennedy Space Center, I was in the first 100. Oh, I love it! That makes me feel so warm inside. I know! So I wanted it to like come full circle in the end. And so when I realized that the Discovery was the next shuttle, I was like, I've seen the Discovery! That's incredible. So it's just this perfect storm of things that happened, and then it kind of rounds itself out in a very natural way. I'm... I'm, I'm in shock. This is incredible. And so, like, close to you. 
Yeah, yeah, I was actually, I was really surprised at how close I actually was to this. So this is how unknown PepCon is. I didn't know about it until I was probably about eight or nine years old. And you were like with your mom during the explosions. Well, the... <laughs> you were there, Alex. Was... You don't even remember. No, I'm just saying this yeah, is how I feel. Probably <laughs> shitting my pants during this or sleeping, which is what I always do. Shit my pants or sleep. Well, that's what you're known for. Things don't change much. <laughs> yeah, what I am, Lacey. <laughs> By the way, thank you for hosting at your place. <laughs> You're welcome. Cleaning up the shit every week really has a toll. <laughs> this is what friendship is. <laughs> and so the way I actually learned about PepCon is, remember in the days before YouTube? No. When they would... <laughs> <laughs> remember in the days before YouTube, when they would have like a bazillion different TV shows that were like, this is America's home videos. This is America's most dangerous car chases. <laughs> yeah, that was a whole thing. Yeah, it was kind of like... Compilations. It's all like sub genre of reality tv there was one that was called real tv and real tv was hosted by john daly i'm pretty sure i watched some of that yeah i did watch a lot of real tv and it was things like this is the tornado this is the car crash this is a guy getting shot in the face real tv <laughs> and one of them was the pepcon explosion ah and I remember being fascinated by it, and it wasn't until I was much older that I realized it happened in Henderson. Well, thank you for listening to our PepCon episode. Thank you for the delicious drink, Lacey. You're welcome. As always. Wow, we actually wrapped this up pretty quickly, I feel. I feel like we're getting, like, a, a lot more streamlined. I'm Lacey. I'm Alex. Uh, remember to follow us online. Uh, like us, rate us. The better you rate us, the more you uh, listen to us, the more we can get more shows out to you. You can follow us at crackpotcocktailhour.com. We also have social media. On Facebook, we're at Crackpot Cocktail Hour. On Instagram, we're, we're at Crackpot Cocktail Hour. And on Twitter, we're at Crackpot Hour. All right. Well, thank you for joining us this week. Maybe a less explosive episode next week when Lacey will choose our topic. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.